This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, January 22nd, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, Joe Biden promises to reunionize America. Another country ratifies the ILO C-190 Convention about violence at the workplace. The Labour Start report about union events and singing... This is Radio Labor. I'm going to be the strongest Labor president you have ever had. As Joe Biden takes office as the 46th president of the United States, there are strong hopes he and his administration will promote unions for economic equality, decent wages, and social justice. On his first day on the job, Mr. Biden told Peter Robb, the notoriously anti-union general counsel for the National Labor Relations Board, to resign by 5 o'clock or be fired. Robb refused to quit. Biden fired him. The board, known by its acronym NLRB, is the U.S. government agency responsible for enforcing labor law related to union organizing and collective bargaining. Richard Trumka, the president of the AFL-CIO, the largest labor federation in the U.S., reacted to Mr. Biden's inauguration on Wednesday, January 20th by saying, There's hope in working people's heart today because dignity and humanity and optimism and compassion have been restored in the White House. So we needed a day like this, but in the days that come, we need much, much more. We need a workers' first agenda. We need bold and decisive action to address the inequality of income, inequality of opportunity, and inequality of power. We need Democrats and Republicans alike to work together to get the pandemic under control, to keep workers safe, and then get rid of our antiquated labor laws that prevent workers from getting fair wages and fair benefits and economic security. Mr. Trumka is the chair of the Economic Policy Institute based in Washington. It has produced a compilation of Mr. Biden's comments on the need for unions. Look, Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country. And unions built the middle class. Productivity went up 92%. From the end of the war to 1978, wages went up because of labor, 94%. From that point on, as the war on labor house began, guess what? Productivity went up 68%, wages went up 8%. 8, 8. Everything going on here is about keeping you from being able to compete with corporate power. We're in a shift, the balance of power back to workers in this country. I'm going to hold company executives personally liable for interfering with workers who are attempting to unionize. Back when the Fair Labor Standards Act was passed way back in Roosevelt's time, it wasn't about whether there could be unions. It was supposed to we should encourage unions. It said the government should promote labor unions for a simple, basic reason. When you're strong, you're the only one that can keep the barbarians at the gate. They only understand power, power, countervailing power. As my dad used to say, the only way to deal with the abuse of power, which is coming from corporate America, is to have power. And the only power we have to fight back, not just for unions, but for ordinary workers out there, is unions, union, union power. 
One of the pieces of legislation the American labor movement is anticipating is the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. The PRO Act, as it is known, is the strongest union-friendly legislation in more than 80 years. It would weaken anti-union so-called right-to-work laws and grant hundreds of thousands the chance to join a union. The PRO Act has already been passed by the Congress's lower legislative house and awaits enactment by the upper-level Senate. For us, the PRO Act uh, is very, very important because right now you have a tremendous imbalance between employers and workers when it comes to power. And we're never going to get wages and inequality under control unless we give workers more power and, and the PRO Act which is the Right to Organize Act, the passage of that is very, very important. Italy is the latest country to ratify ILO Convention C-190 on violence against women and men at work. It is the first European country to do so. The Convention on Violence and Harassment has been ratified by Uruguay and Fiji. Argentina and Namibia committed in late 2020 to ratifying the convention. The ILO is the International Labor Organization, the UN specialized agency focused on matters of work in the world. To find out more more about ILO Convention C-190, I talked to Chitty King. Ms. King is the Director of the Equality Department of the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the global body which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. I asked Ms. King what an ILO convention is. An ILO convention is an international labor law. There are two types of ILO labor law standards, if you like, a convention and a recommendation. The difference between the two is that the convention is binding at national level. So member states, once they ratify it, have an obligation to actually ensure its implementation. A recommendation is more guidance to member states. So it's, this is what you should do if um, you choose to do it. And the important difference there in terms of a convention is that it does set a, a minimum standard for countries around the world in relation to the particular topic which it addresses. What happens when a country ratifies a convention? Ratification is basically a member state agreeing to put the contents of the convention into their national legislation. So once they have ratified it, they then need to adopt national legislation that basically puts the convention into effect. Why is it important for an ILO Convention on Violence Against Women and Men at Work be adopted? The hashtag MeToo movement and other similar movements actually tell us exactly why this initiative is so important in the world of work. Whilst trade unions had begun um, lobbying and negotiating for this law well before the revelations that came along with hashtag uh, MeToo, I think those revelations have really shown us just how widespread and prevalent sexual harassment in particular, but also casual sexism, gender discrimination and gender-based violence uh, more broadly are in the world of work. And we always say if it took women who were in relative positions um, of power 
women in the media industry, women in the entertainment industry, so long to speak up. If they found speaking out so difficult, imagine the situation for a domestic worker working behind closed doors or, you know, a woman working in the supply chains of um, Bangladesh or Cambodia or any other country. What is the effect of the adoption of an ILO convention such as the one we have been discussing on a country? If you have a convention that's ratified at um, national level, it already sends a very strong signal to everyone, to government departments, to the social partners, so that's workers and employers organizations, that the particular behavior that is addressed in the convention dealt with. So in this sense, if we have a convention on violence and harassment, it makes it very clear that violence and harassment isn't part of the job, that measures need to be taken, very concrete steps, both at workplace level, but in the work, the general environment surrounding the world of work to address violence and harassment. It will give trade unions in particular a tool around which both to organize and negotiate with employers. But it also sends strong messages to the government, as I said itself, as to what it needs to put in place in terms of policy measures. So you would have the legislation and then there may be additional policy measures that a government may need to take in order to implement the contents of the convention correctly. It also opens it up to the supervisory process of the ILO. So not only would trade unions have a tool at national level through which to address incidents, issues of violence and harassment, both collectively and individually, but the government would also have to account for the way in which it has gone about implementing Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Starts volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a tiny sample of all that work. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the challenges facing Palestinian journalists, more arrests in Belarus, and the kickoff of the International Labor Organization's Global Year for the Elimination of Child Labor. The emerging trend in our news coverage this week was the continuing contraction of low-wage industries. Garment workers in Ethiopia, Somalia, Nicaragua, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Vietnam seem hardest hit. Large-scale layoffs continue, and the workers who remain are being forced to organize resistance to employers which are imposing wage cuts. The crisis isn't limited to the global south. Elsewhere, especially in Europe and North America, retail workers are under similar pressures. But there, the contraction of traditional retail has been counterbalanced by the huge growth in online sales and the associated delivery systems. There, the increased intensity of their work has logistics workers organizing in huge numbers. The most recent example of this trend is the move by 6,000 workers at an Amazon warehouse in the United States to organize with a trade union. Similar efforts are underway in Australia, Canada, across Europe, and in Latin America. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of, believe it or not, the lifting, finally, of the Russian ban on women train drivers, organizing efforts by women construction workers in Qatar, and fears that the general attack on workers' rights in the UK in the wake of Brexit will hit women especially hard.
The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories detailing union efforts to end workplace harassment for shop workers in the United Kingdom and how garment workers in Ethiopia are organizing to place pressure on global brands to improve their workplaces. Our current photo of the week is of one of the millions of women workers in Argentina who late last year celebrated the legalization of abortion after a 30 years long campaign. Speaking of campaigns, current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with workers in Jordan, Ukraine, Kyrgyzstan, Brazil, Colombia, Myanmar, India, and Albania. Look for details of these campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is the English folk singer Billy Bragg with There's Power in a Union. There's power in a factory, power in the land, power in the hand of the worker. We must fight for From the cities and the farmlands To trenches full of mud Wars who always been the bosses wiser The union forever Defending our rights Bound with the black leg The workers unite With our brothers and our sisters In many far off lands There power in a union. Now I long for the morning that I realize brutality and unjust laws cannot defeat us. But who defend the workers who cannot organize when the bosses send their lackeys out to cheat us? Money speaks for money, the devil for his own. That's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.